Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. All right. Hello and welcome, listeners. Do we have a nerdy one for you today? But we are both really excited to share this with you because we have spent really probably years for us really condensing this uh, worldview and it weaves in throughout our practice and throughout both of our approaches to life, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So grounded generalism. In, in a nutshell, right, it means that we know a lot and have skills in more than just one thing, but not everything about many relevant topics, but not all of them. Now, <laughs> that was not intentionally confusing, but if you if that didn't help you clear it up at all, don't worry, hang in there with us because this is a concept with a lot of nuance, but it really has far-reaching consequences. And once you start seeing it, start seeing it everywhere. And you and if you're anything like the two of us, you start living your life by the gospel of grounded generalism, <laughs> if you will. Uh, is there anything that you want to open with as far as that goes for us? Yeah, I, I think we're looking at a pushback against both hyper-specialization but yes. on one end, but then right. on the other end, the kind of know-it-all, just Google it culture of thinking that we know so much about things that we don't know a lot about. Right, because we have access to a lot of information now that that, that is the same thing as being knowledgeable or skillful at something. And yeah, I think oftentimes, or maybe we're falling into the trap here of defining something by defining what it is not. And I think sometimes it's easier to start that way. But really, grounded generalism is exactly that. It is generalism in the sense of being uh, a jack of all trades but in our case it's a jack of all trades master of some as opposed to a jack of all yeah. trades master of none yeah. so we have i would describe it as a medium or medium deep level of knowledge about a handful of topics if we're talking about health in our case in our clinical practices to use an example forrest and i both have a yeah, pretty deep level of competency, but not just on one topic. We are integrative practitioners. We're holistic practitioners. So we have a deep level of competency around nutrition, around supplements, around herbal medicine, obviously, and around movement, and then also around some of these lifestyle factors. And we know a lot about sleep. We know a lot about pain. We know a lot about stress neuroscience. We know a lot about trauma and the nervous system. So we have a deep level of competence around not everything, right? Like Forrest, I, neither of us would claim to have a deep level of knowledge around everything as it, as it relates to health, as it relates to medicine, but nor would either of us be able to swallow the idea that we are just herbalists and we only know or, about herbs, right? right? Because yeah, we do, neither of us believe that's the best approach to lasting vitality and health. Yeah, I think that's where it's like looking at in this culture we have on one end, the hyper-specialized, mm -hmm. someone who, like, I'm, like, Brett Contrast, the glue guy. Like, I love his work. He, he, I'm going to specialize in, like, strength and conditioning for the glute complex. Like, mm -hmm. that's that's a hyper-specialization. Super-specialized, yep. And there's a ton of great work that comes from that kind of specialization. We're looking at how do we take that 
and integrate things together. I think that's where the buzzwords of like integrative, holistic, multidisciplinary, the sum of things versus the going down the rabbit hole of the one thing. Because practically of- what m- people, what we have both found, I think, and what brought both of us to the healing work and something we discovered as part of being drawn to the healing work is that what most people need and what I would say is the most effective way to design interventions is to have a multi-pronged approach. You achieve better results in clinic, in healing from chronic health issues, when you plug in with diet and sleep and stress management and lifestyle and herbal medicine and an appropriate movement protocol. Though the right. sum of those things is is more effective than just be uh, just intervening with herbs or just intervening with uh, diet. Those things can be effective on their own, but the idea behind grounded generalism as it relates to our clinical practices and as it relates to health for you, dear listener, is this idea that it is our birthright, as we are going to talk about in our next episode, it is our birthright as as homo sapiens, as our species, to be uh, generalists. We are we are very good at that and we we have the capacity for that. And both Forrest and I, I feel like, would say that it is far more effective to get you where you want to go health-wise when you plug in from multiple angles. And this is absolutely the thread that weaves together words like holistic and integrative and multidisciplinary approaches to things, even in, you know, academia. Those those buzzwords all all touch on this idea of grounded generalism. So what do we mean when we say grounded generalism? And then what is the difference between grounded generalism and regular generalism? Right. I yeah, I think that's a really good distinction. So generalism gets of a controversial rap. There's like yeah. the bad rap. There's mm-hmm. the jack of all trades, but a master of none. Though I know there's also sometimes people add on that, but it's still better than a master of one. So there's that kind of generalism. And I think the real big distinction with that is generalism can sometimes manifest a little bit narcissistically as like guru mentality of yeah. the, 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 especially like think about in health and wellness, like the guru. The one size on, fits all the theory of everything. Here, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I have the only cure. I have the thing that will fix everything and I have all the answers. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I think you have to be really, really careful with that in the health and wellness space. And yeah, and I think that's where we can get in some trouble. I think the grounded generalism is when you're a jack of many trades, but a master of some. Mm-hmm. Gra- the grounded generalist also knows when to outsource to or seek the guidance of a somebody who specializes in something that is a different specialty or somebody that has more specialized knowledge in a subspecialty of that area. You know, Sure, we're looking, not saying that there's no place for specialists. That's absolutely not what we're saying. More of what we're saying is that generalism forms a good foundation for specialism. Yeah. As opposed to shooting right for hyper-specialization. And I think another thing that I wanted to touch on here that is coming into pop science sort of common parlance is that if we think about the curve of the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? So the Mm Dunning-Kruger effect, just to remind you, dear listener, is the phenomenon whereby a person who has a low level of knowledge and skills in a certain area will overestimate their own competence. And then someone, the flip side of that is that someone who has uh, a very high level of knowledge and skill in a certain area tends to underestimate their competence because whatever they're doing is is easy for them. And then they tend to underestimate and think that it's going to be easy for others as well. Where this kind of ties in with the idea of, of grounded generalism is 
I, I would argue that grounded generalism occupies that middle space, that sweet spot between those two extremes. Grounded generalism is having a medium, medium high level of competency in the area that we're talking about, but also not so much that we neither underestimate nor overestimate your own competency. So you know when to refer out, right, to use an example from clinical practice, but you also aren't going to downplay your own ability to become competent and even deeply competent in more than one thing because it's a pushback against this cultural idea that we have to pick a lane, not only a lane, but like a super specific lane, and that if you are not the world-renowned expert on this absolute niche thing, then you have not achieved competence or expert-level knowledge on anything. So it's a pushback right. against that idea. And it occupies this like middle space that I feel as, as intellectual, but also people who try to tread lightly on the world and, and be cognizant of our own biases. That middle space on that Dunning-Kruger effect curve, right, like maybe it's shifted towards the side of, of high competency, that's what we're aiming towards. And yes. grounded generalism, just to piggyback on that, this is a heading for us to shoot for, right? Neither Forrest nor I would say that we have achieved this 100% of the time in all of our clinical practices always. We are always, we are aiming for this, this balance of deep competence and a broad base of knowledge and skill. Yeah. And it, you could still be high achieving in your specialty. Like I think we can think of Leonardo da Vinci as, a, mm -hmm. as an example of a high achieving grounded generalist. Yes. Who had, and, but then also you have other folks in history that they had that generalism that helped support their specialty. We, I mm -hmm. think it's really interesting. We, we always think of Socrates, this specialist upon specialist of thought and logic and thinking and stuff. And so like a lot of times we picture him as like an old man sitting around theorizing a modern philosophy professor, mm -hmm. <laughs> but wait, but he actually coached a lot of his students in wrestling. Oh, like that kind of turns that narrative on its head. So this great thinker, he also dabbled in physical arts and, and how to be a good wrestling coach and things like that. Now, there's no writings that indicate that he was considered like the, the world champion, the yeah. world champion <laughs> yeah. wrestling coach of Athens, but he had grounding in knowledge outside of his, his specialty. Special of his specialty or his niche. And there, this idea is actually becoming supported by, there's a book, Hold on. There's a book called Range, Why Generalists Triumph by David Epstein that this makes me think of as well. We'll put this, I'll put that information in the show notes. And in that book, he makes a very convincing argument for why our, our highest achievers, our greatest thinkers, our greatest military leaders, our most strategic thinkers in areas of life that entail a lot of complexity and changing circumstances in particular why it is important for them to be generalists and for them to have more than just a hyper-specialized lane of skill. He starts by comparing that with something like chess, which has a fixed set of rules, and, and the lexicon of moves is massive, but it is finite, and it follows the same set of rules in the environment, the sort of intellectual environment, doesn't change. Chess is the same no matter what, right? The rules are the same. There's variability in the players, of course, but like that is an example of an arena where 
hyper-specialization pays off. And then the author goes on to compare that with arenas that with greater complexity and greater variety and greater variability in the in the parameters and the factors whereby hyper-specialization has been shown not to pay off as much as a broad and deep range of, of competencies. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends on the context. Now, again, our context is health and medicine and adapting to life in the modern world, which I would say is the the very definition of variable circumstance. The parameters around our lives are changing a lot faster than I, well, I would I would say most of us feel like we can keep up with on a lot of days. So that would be another argument for this idea that it pays to be a Renaissance person. And a Renaissance person is this is this jack of all trades, but master of a few. And we can compare that with generalism, which is the sort of derogatory idea of jack of all trades, but a master of none. Yeah, yeah, I think, and it's not just about as individuals, but it's how we interact socially. You mm-hmm. know? So mm-hmm. the more general knowledge and skill you have, the more you're able to communicate with people that specialize in that area that you may be an amateur in mm-hmm. your knowledge and skill with. Yeah. It also means that different specialists in different professions have the ability to cross-pollinate ideas yes. and skills and information. So a physician can take things from a philosopher and they can also take things from an architect and use those in their theorizations on health. Yes. Problem is when we move into such specialization, when the philosophers become so specialized in philosophy that philosophy becomes something that that no one but a philosopher can read Mm -hmm. and architecture becomes so specialized in architecture that it becomes something that no one that's not an architect can understand and medicine becomes so specialized in medicine then we create this huge gap and we lose that ability to cross pollinate and mm-hmm. that's where you get like the silo metaphor of intellectual silos where nobody can understand what you're saying except the five other people that have, that are studying it that, with you or have that level that that level of knowledge and it's not that there's not a place for that kind of level of specialization but what i think is that it has become overemphasized mm-hmm. and over pushed in society. Mm-hmm. I think there was always the, the over, far reachers. Over emphasized as the only expression of competence and expertise. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. We can see it in a lot of the ways. We can see it in like the decrease of emphasis of the primary care general practitioner physician in medicine. Mm-hmm. We can see it as the decrease of usage of the handyman contractor all around yeah. like person as opposed to using the specialist, just going straight to the electrician, going straight to the rheumatologist. We're losing that generalist area slowly as detriment. technology and culture move in that direction. And, and then something the- that's... Interesting. Oh, sorry. If I can jump in. Something that's interesting about specifically the Dunning-Kruger effect that we learned in uh, refreshing ourselves for this episode that I think has a very real implication for what we're seeing now with AI is that the Dunning-Kruger effect is not a bias of the human brain. There's research from 2016 that suggests that it is a computational bias. And the reason they arrived at that is because they observed the same phenomenon from computer-generated data. So Computer-generated data is also subject to the effects of Dunning-Kruger. So that leads us to have to question the idea that it's a bias of the human mind, 
which also leads me to ask the question or to draw the conclusion that it is potentially a bias of AI as well. That's really interesting. And I think an interesting thing with the Dunning-Kruger is you can read in there almost like a bias towards specialization. There's like, I've seen it used as a term that's mm -hmm. kind of like, mm -hmm. you should trust the experts, but... Or experts, trust yourselves more, as it were. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. true, um, but... Which is definitely true, but there's also this sense that that effect is happening because the gap, again, is getting too wide. So yeah. in the absence of having social theory and philosophy and things and public health as a topic that can be engaged in by the general populace with the experts in it. Mm -hmm. When the experts have become so specialized in that direction, then we get the pseudo experts, the Google experts oh, that geez. have a very low knowledge of any of those subjects that then they become the supposed experts to the general populace because they oh. can actually articulate that in a way that makes sense to the general populace, even if it's very bias very even wrong right which um, is a huge social phenomenon we saw as a during the last couple of years with covid and vaccines and health information and, and all of this like internet experts who suddenly thought they knew more than epidemiologists yeah. uh, and we dance with that in law of functional nutrition world where like mm -hmm. nutrition has become this thing that academically gets studied in a, such a stuffy hyper specialized way that like in you know it becomes untranslatable to the average it, person it, who just is trying to average, eat better. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And exactly. then it becomes it where it's, it becomes the Wild West where yeah. then since the traditional specialist through our social institutions is no longer super available for that. Accessible. Um, so, mm -hmm. Or accessible. Mm -hmm. So now we are looking at alternative or more grounded generalists to provide us with nutritional information like maybe strength and conditioning coaches or herbalists like ourselves. And sometimes we can be great at that. I believe that Alyssa, you and myself give good grounded advice and look towards the experts to mm -hmm. support right. nutritional advice. But also in the Wild West, we can get people that have a lot of nonsensical ideas about nutrition. Because grounded generalism, I think one of the things that makes grounded generalism different than the sort of left side of the spectrum of the Dunning-Kruger effect or folks who don't have a, a knowledge base is that I would consider for, for grounded generalism to be what I consider it to be, it still requires, like I said, a medium to deep level of competency. So there's still a minimum threshold for competency and for knowledge and skill that must be reached. What we are saying is just that you don't have to be the world-renowned expert on this one thing in order to consider yourself competent. And right. Forrest and I, I would consider us competent, not because we are like smarter than anyone else or because we just happen to have, have it all figured out. We, we both have put many thousands of hours into nutrition training and anatomy and physiology and pathophysiology. I would argue that there's still level of education and training and knowledge and skill development required in, in order to consider yourself competent. And that, I think, is the... The part that sometimes also gets lost is that I'm not going to take information from just Joe Blow anybody. I still am going to require someone with some knowledge and training and or experience. We can broaden the definition of what counts as credentialed experience because I think there's a lot of gatekeeping, especially in medicine, yes. around that yeah. knowledge. But I would I would still argue that it requires a baseline level of education and training. How whether we broaden the pathways to achieve that is I think part of the question. I think that it becomes about 
having conversations and less on both ends about who the the top expert or master or guru is. It's like ego you know, driven. Yeah. One thing I've seen, like I, I have a background in traditional Chinese martial arts and traditional Chinese martial arts have gotten a bad rep. Not just traditional Chinese martial arts, but a lot of traditional martial arts have gotten a bad rep during the rise of mixed martial arts, which is a intensive outcome oriented mm -hmm. sport. Yeah. Because you then have these traditional martial artists making claims about their martial arts that don't chalk up to the modern crucible of actually going into a cage and of a super outcome oriented environment. Yes. I would say one of the the big benefits in traditional Chinese martial arts, other traditional martial arts, is grounded generalism. There's a lot more focus on nervous system resilience, on mm -hmm. fascial orientated movement practices, on a lot of differing skills that creates a grounded, average martial artist generalism. The mistake that's made by a lot of martial arts practitioners is like, equating that with the specialization and skill of being a competitive fighter right. of like of the physical training the fine tuning the practicality. of the skill mm -hmm. practicality of that to actually go in and do that fighting and so that's when we have on one end traditional martial arts gurus saying claiming that they have all this secret knowledge that they could actually go into the ring and win without training for that which has been proven through trial and yeah. error to, to be an error and then on the other hand you have on the other end of the curve martial arts athletes and people pursuing the athletic like intense competitive, competitive setting. martial mm -hmm. artists saying well that traditional knowledge is worthless it's that divide comes from that like separation of what's generalism what's general knowledge what are general movement competencies that can go towards martial arts and what is the specialized like ability to actually compete in that yeah and it's like so i think what we're getting at here is that it's about a lot of this seems to be circling around reclaiming this like middle space yeah right this like middle space between the expert and like the person who doesn't know crap about whatever it is we're talking about. And yeah. I think it's really important to point out that, as I mentioned when I said that Forrest and I do not do not suppose that we have this all figured out. We do not claim to have all of this figured out and to have like to be enacting grounded generalism perfectly because in the changing parameters of our world and also just in our evolution as people, this is an ongoing dynamic process. And we are individually and collectively always reassessing how to determine which things are important to know about, and then also trying to determine how much knowledge is enough, but not so much that we get into hyper-specialization. So right. it's like we're constantly triangulating and re-triangulating and, and like adjusting our heading for how much is the right amount of competency to have deep competency, but not to unconsciously tip into hyper-specialization. And then also what are the things that's most important to to have in our buckets, if we can have five or six, four or five, six buckets, what are the most important buckets to invest our time and energy into? Whether we're talking about health, whether we're talking about careers, whether we're talking about academics, whatever it is that we're talking about. Yeah, I think having a general sense of what are like building core competencies of knowledge that helps you live as human? a human being, mm -hmm. then having your foundation work towards maybe the things that you are 
inching towards specialization in. And then you can have the areas of that that you're the specialist. Speaking out on, totally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next time in our next episode, we are going to be diving into this in a more uh, grounded, no, in a more concrete way as far as as it relates to healing work and how it makes the healing work that we do more effective and why grounded generalism is our birthright as humans biologically anyway, and several examples of that. And then also not only biologically, but also socially and the negative effects of us sort of losing sight and devaluing this idea of grounded generalism. So you Oh, go ahead. Grounded generalism can enhance wellness. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. That was much more succinct. So your homework, dear listener, we're going to leave you with a prompt to go on a scavenger hunt in your life. Take a look around you at the circumstances and routines and your environment and the structures that you are a part of on a day-to-day basis, especially as it relates to your work or your health routines, and See if you can't see where either hyper-specialization or an example of grounded generalism shows up in your life and where or how does it detract or benefit your sense of agency, your sense of competency, and your health overall. All right. This has been the Move Nourish podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. And we will catch you next time. 